Welcome with Dr. William Baker. I'm your host, Dr. William Baker. And this week on our podcast, we're going to be discussing time of feasts. Now, we're going to be talking about specifically what the feasts are in the Bible, uh, the important ones, and a little bit about the Jewish calendar. So, in Christianity and Judaism, there are many celebrations and feasts throughout the year. In the Bible, God has designated seven feasts as the feasts of the Lord. These feasts are meant as a reminder of what God has done and what God will do. We're going to discuss those feasts and uh, that the Lord commanded um, as his feasts. He specifically laid those out. And we're going to discuss that Jewish calendar, as I mentioned. This will give us a context to understand the seven feasts and the logical flow that go between the feasts. Now, in order to understand the feasts of the Lord, we must first understand the system used to chronologically determine the start of the feast and when they will occur. The common calendar used today throughout the world is the Gregorian calendar. The Gregorian calendar consists of a total of three 365 days within a 12-month framework. To compensate for discrepancies in the Gregorian calendar, we add an extra day to the month of February during the leap year. This is to keep different calendars correctly aligned. While the Gregorian calendar is commonly used, it's not a new calendar, and it's also not the calendar we'll be using when we're thinking about the feasts of the Lord. We must remember that Jesus was a Jew, and the Lord's chosen people were Jewish. We must look backwards into biblical history, specifically Jewish history as it pertains to the Bible and the calendar used for the Jewish people. The Jewish community uses the Hebrew calendar. The Jewish calendar also contains 12 months, which had lengths ranging from 29 to 30 days. The start of the Gregorian calendar year starts in January. The start of the Jewish calendar starts with the month of Nisan, or Nisan. Depends on how you pronounce it. January and Nissan do not start during the same time frame of the year. There's an offset of several months between January and Nissan. The importance of starting the year off at the correct moment is of utmost importance to the Jewish people. Every month, the Jewish community would confirm the new moon sighting by credible witnesses and verified by priests of the temple. Now, this was important to accurately worship the Lord and observe the feasts of the Lord. During this time, the Jewish communities were agrarian-based, and the Jewish calendar reflected agrarian society. This was important in having correct items to offer at the feasts. The time and feasts of the Lord were not given to enslave the Israelites, but to free them to reflect on the person, plan, and attributes of the Holy One of Israel. If we think about those around us, we all know someone who does things with hesitation and acts as though the performance of these things are a burden. Which some of this could be, you know, acting, going to church. You know, God doesn't want us to feel like, you know, it's a burden, you know, going to church. Nor should we act like that. It's just an example. As Christians, we should go to church to celebrate God and remember what God has done for us and how God wants us to act. We're not here to satisfy our own desires and wants. 
We need to take the time we have to celebrate what God has done for us and to use the time given us to glorify God. The feast of the Lord were given to us to remind us what the Lord has done for us, as well as our dependence on the Lord. The first and most important feast of the Lord is Passover. Passover occurs on Nisan 14. This holiday, which was given to us by God, reminds us of the freedom that God gave to the Israelites by freeing them from the Egyptian slavery. As we know from many stories growing up, God placed terrible plagues upon the Egyptians. The plagues were not enough to release the Israelites from bondage. God sent one last judgment. God would come at midnight and kill the firstborn of each family if they did not follow his command. To avoid this catastrophe, you had to show your faith in God. A family was to sacrifice a perfect lamb and place its blood on your doorpost on each side, making the form of a cross. Now, we are not arbitrarily talking about any lamb. The lamb chosen for substitute must be unblemished and kept with the family for four days. In those four days, the family would grow close to the lamb, and on the fourth day, they would kill it and drain its blood. In those four days, the family would have grown closer to the lamb due to them living with it for several days. This made the sacrifice more personal. So we have several events happening here. God's going to punish the unfaithful by killing the firstborn of every family. This was set in motion to free the people of Israel. To avoid such calamity, you had to sacrifice a pure unblemished lamb, place its blood on your doorpost. This is also the same day the perfect Paschal lamb was sacrificed on the cross to make it possible to remove sin from man and provide redemption through the Lord. Just as the blood of the sacrificial lamb captured freedom from Israelites from Egypt, The blood of Christ enabled redemption for man. You will notice in one instance, a lamb is used as a sacrifice. And in the other instance, Jesus is the sacrifice. On many occasions throughout the Bible, sacrifices are required. One has to pay through self-sacrifice or provide the appropriate substitute. In the instance of Passover, the sacrifice of a lamb was used to remove the burden of the sacrifice from an actual Israelite. You also see in other feasts that sacrifices are required. A note of significance in this resides in the sacrifice itself. Substitute sacrifices are continually required and do not permanently remove the debt we have to pay. In the case of Christ's crucifixion, there was only one crucifixion, and it was permanently made possible through redemption through Christ. Christ was the perfect substitute. During these feasts, a large number of sacrifices are made. Many of the sacrifices involve substitute sacrifices, which are animals. You know, there was a lot of priests working in the fields to ensure there were enough sacrificial lambs born and cared for during the year to meet sacrificial requirements. Would you actually think that a priest would work in a field? The sacrificial lambs were sold by the priest during the feast to ensure there was adequate sacrifices during the feast. So the priests were making some money off of it too. 
Today, we have no need to perform the sacrifices. The perfect sacrifice was made when Jesus took the cross for us, making it permanent forever. Passover is a memorial in remembrance of the sacrifice made. There was only one Passover when the Lord passed through the land in judgment. In celebrating Passover today, many families use a stuffed toy lamb to remind them of the freedom gained and the dependence upon God. Israel could not exist without God. Now, coming directly after Passover is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread takes place in Nisan, which is March and April, Nisan 15th, literally the day after Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread lasts seven days until the 21st day of the month. In modern times, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover are usually recognized as one feast. Most individuals understand what leaven is and why it's important to bread. It makes bread rise to give it a light, fluffy feel. In order for the leaven to work, dough must sit a while. The leaven takes time to work and expand the dough. Without leaven, bread is flat and slightly denser. In the context of the feast, it's to remind everyone of the haste in which Israel had to leave from Egypt. The Israelites had to leave Egypt so fast that the bread they were making had no time to rise. Israelites were commanded to remove all leaven from their homes for the week after Passover and were not allowed to eat leavened bread during this time. Anyone who eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel whether he is an alien or a native of the land. This is a very big reminder for anyone who follows God not to eat leavened bread, or you're going to be cut off from the nation of Israel. As we see, this is not limited to the Israelites. Now, does that mean the nation we think of today is Israel? There's debate around that. You know, Some say there was a new Israel. Some say it's that Israel. But it's not limited to them. It's not limited to the one group of people. Remember, God was Jewish, but he welcomed everybody in. We have a humanly command for anyone who believes in God not to eat leavened bread during that week. It is a command. We have another issue preparing for the seven days. Our houses and places of business must be free of leaven, so we have to take the time to meticulously clean to ensure all the leaven, even the crumbs and dust, are removed. Now, leaven causes bubbles in the bread, which causes it to rise. Leaven also causes the bread to sour slightly. Leaven's well-suited is a picture of sin since it rapidly permeates the dough, contaminating it, souring it, fermenting it. And swallowing it many times is its normal, original size without changing its weight. God wants us to remove our leaven so we can be in fellowship with him. And we cannot do that if we're all puffed up. We as humans are not perfect and must clean ourselves of sin and iniquity. We have to be prepared to approach God so we can be in proper fellowship with him. We're reminded of the Last Supper in which Christ broke the bread and gave it to his disciples. 
Christ broke the bread. How many times have you ever tried to break bread that has yeast or leaven in it and were able to break it? You may tear it, but you can't break it. Christ breaking the bread was symbolic of Christ being broken and crucified on the cross for us. We must accept the Lord, ingest his teachings, and live a life that glorifies God. Now, the third of the spring feast is the feast of first fruits. That's a little bit of a tongue twister. The third feast in the spring is the feast of first fruits. This feast occurs on Nisan 16. As the name suggests, first fruits is related to the agricultural growing season. This is specifically related to the barley harvest. You know, we made a reference to the Jewish calendar in the agrarian society. Now, the Jewish people pay very close attention to the moon phases as they relate to the calendar. This is important to determine when the appropriate time was to plant specific crops and when those crops should be harvested, which was the fourth quarter of the moon. A sheaf of barley from the new crop would be taken to the temple where it would be given as an offering. The sheaf would be waved before the altar as a wave offering. The barley was then prepared as a burnt offering. The barley was refined into a fine flour and mixed with oil. A small amount was given as a burnt offering and the remainder went to the priests. Christ was also a first fruit. Christ died on Passover and was placed in his tomb before the evening time in which the Sabbath would start. Since you could not work on the Sabbath, the burial had to take place the evening prior. Christ was in the grave three days, and then he rose as the perfect first fruit. When we talk about offerings or sacrifices, we look at an unblemished and pure. We want to offer something of the finest quality. In this case, Christ is the perfect unblemished and pure first fruit in every respect and was presented as an offering of sorts, just like the first sheaf of the crop. When we're looking for the first sheaf of the crop, we're looking for the most mature and perfect part of the crop available. But we're also talking about the crop growing and living again because it was previously harvested. We took land and planted a seed. We grew the seed. We harvested the crop from the seed and have returned to just land with no seed or crop. Jesus rose once. The crops have to be replanted every year, and we rely on God to provide us what we need to endure that year. God is a farmer of sorts, a perfect farmer. God planted Jesus, who grew and was cultivated for us. Again, we see God giving us what we need. But God doesn't have to grow another Jesus because Jesus was the perfect crop. Through this action, Jesus has given us resurrection. Not in this world, but the possibility of a second body in heaven, the perfect body. Those who believe become first fruits of Jesus. The Feast of Weeks is the next in a series of seven feasts. The Feast of Weeks is also known as Shavuot and Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover and literally means 50th day. 
There is no biblical date for Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is simply known as occurring 50 days after Passover. Pentecost occurs during the Jewish month of Sivian, which is between May and June. While first fruits celebrate the first of the barley harvest, Shavuot celebrates the first of the wheat harvest. Pentecost has several points of significance. The first significant point of Pentecost is the conclusion of the growing season. In the previous seven weeks, the wheat crop has matured and is now ready for harvest to help sustain the multitudes of Israelites. The second most significant point of Pentecost is remembering that on this day, the law was given to Moses in Mount Sinai. So Pentecost is remembering that the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. The law, the giving of the law specifically, was a response of God setting the Israelites free. This occurred exactly 50 days after Passover, not the Passover memorials, but the actual Passover in which Christ was crucified for our sins. Now, as was mentioned, the conclusion of the wheat crop growing season was also important. During this time, sin and peace offerings were made. Everyone would make a sin offering for the sins they had committed throughout the year. While peace offerings were made at the same time, they were not actually made for peace. Peace offerings were made as a way of saying thank you to God for accepting the sin offering, which offered peace. The wheat crop was important for the harvest. The offerings remind us that we rely on God to provide for us. Without God, we would not have the food to eat or the harvest to sustain us. One of God's commands was to leave the edges of the crop and the gleanings for the less fortunate. You know, God's providing for those who can raise the crops and harvest them, but also providing for those who may not have enough. God's given them the ability to go and harvest what they need to live. They may have as much as they want, but they do not have enough to get by. Pentecost was the last of the spring feasts. The Feast of Trumpets was the first of the fall feasts. Most know of the Feast of Trumpets as Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah was the first day in the Jewish month of Tishri, which is September, October. The feast had no name, but was ordered by God as a time of rest. The rest was very much needed as the growing season was concluding and the people were tired from the hard work of growing and harvesting the crops. Farming is tiring and hard. It's long, it's dirty, it's exhausting. Rosh Hashanah was a one-day feast, often extended for two days for the, for the diaspora. The diaspora were Jews who were not living in Jerusalem. They were living outside of the, the Jewish lands. So those people who were Jews living outside of that Jewish land were known as diaspora. A shofar is a trumpet, which is a carved horn that is blown. It's blown as an announcement that the Messiah is coming. If you knew the Messiah was coming, wouldn't you also want to proclaim it to the world? And a shofar is a certainly good way to do it um, by alerting a large area. Now, what does that have to do with things? This shofar, this, this carved horn that they're using. 
Well, Rosh Hashanah focuses on averting God's judgment. The blowing of this shofar, this horn, symbolizes God's judgment. Israel's repentance and divine restoration. The shofar would come from many animals, as long as it did not come from a cow. Since Jewish people fashioned and worship a golden calf while Moses was receiving the law on Mount Sinai. So that would be like desecrating using a, a, a cow because of the golden calf. Can't use a cow horn. The Day of Atonement is the sixth feast of the Lord and the second of the fall feasts. Day of Atonement was on the 10th day of the Jewish month of Tishri. Day of Atonement is also known as Yom Kippur or Kippur. depends on who's saying it. On this day, there's to be no work. To the, as the people of God are required to present offerings to the Lord. Interesting fact of this feast is atonement means covering or to cover. So we're not washing away our sins, but covering them so God cannot see them. The sin offering only covers the sin to temporarily remove sin from God's sight. God doesn't want to see sin. We have to cover it. God created this feast to restore man's relationship with God. God can't be in a perfect relationship with us while we're covered in sin. The flesh of man's weak and atonement for the sins is required. Every year on Yom Kippur, many substitute sacrifices were made for our sins. Sheer number of animals required must have been a challenge for the priest to provide. One important aspect of the Day of Atonement was the scapegoat. Now, that's interesting. We've all heard scapegoat, and uh, they've got it here in the Bible. Day of Atonement. Two goats were gathered at the temple that were previously prepared for the ceremony in which one goat would be offered as a sacrifice. To the Lord, the second goat would be the scapegoat. The priest would take the goat destined for the Lord and sacrifice it. The priest would then address the remaining goat by performing a ritual, which he laid his hands on the goat's head and confessed the people's sins to the goat. The goat was then released outside the temple and ushered out of the city where it would ultimately be killed. So the goat was taking man's sins with him. During this time, the people of Israel were required to fast and repent. Any Israelite caught not fasting or repenting would be cut off from the nation of Israel. You didn't do work. You, you repented. You know, you had to not eat, control your flesh, and you had to repent of your sins. You had to be aware of your sins. So you had that mindfulness. That would be considered, you know... Um, if, if you didn't do that, you, you were cut off, and, and that was considered to be not one of God's people. You weren't part of, you know, the Israelite crew, the, the Israelite people. This was a pretty severe punishment, you know, at the time when you were cut off from the people if, if you didn't do that. So fasting and repenting were very much important on that day. Today, there's no temple to make a sacrifice, and there's no longer a blood sacrifice requirement since Christ fulfilled that requirement with the perfect sacrifice that, you know, it doesn't cover it, but permanently removes sin. Finally, we've realized through Christ a permanent solution to remove sin. Thousands of animals were sacrificed as offerings for the nation of Israel's sin. One man, 
Jesus. And an act of selflessness and perfection have enabled us to achieve salvation through Jesus. This makes me think about Jesus' crucifixion. If we were at the crucifixion and faithful followers of Jesus, could we have let him be sacrificed? I mean, we're seeing him up on the cross. It'd be very tough knowing we had he had to be sacrificed, and we could have possibly done something to prevent it. But we had to sit back and watch. If we truly understood what Jesus was doing at the time, you know, would we have been in despair? Would we have been saddened that he was on the cross? Or would we have been happy? Personally, I'd have to pray for the strength to be a witness. I, I don't know that I could be happy or, you know, in despair with Christ on the cross. We know why he's on the cross. And without it, we can't have salvation. That's that's kind of a, a tough uh, tough to think about. This brings us to the last feast of the seven feasts of the Lord and the last of the fall feasts, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles is also known as Sukkot. Tabernacles starts on the 15th day of Tishri and lasts for seven days. Tabernacles is a time of great joy for the Jewish people. It's a requirement of tabernacles that all males make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. When they arrive at Jerusalem, they build little huts called sukkahs. The huts were hastily built to remind the Jewish people of the time wandering in the wilderness. The Jewish people were very joyful for what God had done for them previously and what God continues and will do for them in the future. God tells us he will tabernacle with us during the coming kingdom. The feast also coincides with the last of the harvest season. God wants us to remember that we are dependent upon him for getting us where we are and where we will go. God provides protection and refuge in the tabernacles. Although the huts are temporary, they do provide and fulfill our current need. Providing for our needs has always been and will continue to be dependent upon the Lord. Not us, but the Lord allowing us to do things. Understanding moon phases allow the proper sequence of feasts to occur when they should occur. The feasts of the Lord remind us of the difficulty in coming to this point in history, but also that the Lord's provided and made possible the impossible. The Lord he has always provided what we will need and will continue to provide for us. We can only accomplish what the Lord allows us to accomplish. Only through him are things possible. This is what the feasts of the Lord, which we are commanded to acknowledge, remind us of. We would not be here if it were not for the Lord. Now, I know that's been a lot. But you can always replay the podcast, you know, wind it back up, listen to different sections, understand the feasts, understand the importance of the Lord and what we have to do. We must fast and we must repent. And again, I want to thank everybody for listening to today's podcast. And I want to wish everybody well. Uh, please go in Christ. This is Christian Life with Dr. William Baker.
Thank you and have a great week.